3, we had uh, started with, um, in chapter 23, with the feast of the Lord, the first one being the Sabbath, that uh, comprised verse 3. But then we continued on with the Sabbath by going into chapter 25, as it deals with the Sabbath year, and then also that year of Jubilee. So now we're going back to Leviticus chapter 23, and uh, we're not going to take these in the order that they occur in Leviticus. Uh, I have a different reason and a different purpose for the order that, that we'll be looking at them, but we'll be looking at all of them. Right? So this morning... We're going to be dealing with the Feast of Booths, which begins in verse 33. So Leviticus 23, verse 33. And we hear then God's breathed out word to us as to how this feast was to be celebrated by God's people of old. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak. To the people of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper days. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it. In the seventh month, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. Once again, bow in prayer and ask for the Lord's blessing. Our dear Heavenly Father, it is indeed good for us to be here in your house this morning to worship you, to offer up our praise to you. 
We pray that you will give Pastor Bob the wisdom that he needs, the words that he needs, in order to convey the message that you have presented to him to give to us. We pray that you will open our hearts, that we will be able to receive those words. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. One of the things that we need to remember as we get more deeply into these various feasts over the course of the next several weeks is that Israel as a nation operated on two different calendars. There was a sacred calendar and there was a civil calendar. The sacred calendar had as the first month the seventh month of the civil and the civil calendar operated the opposite way. The first month was the seventh month of the sacred. And so there's always the question, are we given this information based upon the civil calendar, that which they uh, used uh, in terms of perhaps uh, more administrative things, as compared to their sacred calendar, which dealt more with their feast. And so when, when we deal with these things, sometimes we, we have to put on our thinking caps and we have to stop and think, okay, what are we in here? What are we dealing with? Um, and just, just because there are sometimes, as you read through the Old Testament, that comes into play. Here, it's pretty plain that God is dealing with their sacred calendar. That, that, that seems to be pretty plain. But I, I'm offering that to you because sometimes you, maybe you're in a Bible study on kings or maybe you're on a Bible study with the prophets and you're, you're trying to put this all together. Uh, you, you have to look into it and ask the question, which calendar are we looking at? And so the first point this morning has to be the date. The date of the feast. When did this feast actually take place? Secondly, a reminder that God gives about all of the feasts. Thirdly, the practice of this particular feast. What, what made it unique? What did they do? And then fourthly, if you turn the sermon outline over, is the continued purpose. What, why, what, what does this mean for you and I today? as we believe that all of these ceremonial-type laws have been fulfilled in Christ. We don't do this. Okay? We, we don't keep this feast. And yet there are some very important lessons for us to be reminded of, not only from Leviticus, but certainly in Christ, and then finally for ourselves. But first of all, the date. Now, let me have you go back to verse 26 of the same chapter, Leviticus 23, because we need to kind of set this. Because there was another feast day in this seventh month, and we read about it in verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. And the day of atonement is perhaps one of, one of the most important of all of these feast days, if we want to use that terminology, 
in terms of understanding atonement, in terms of understanding justification, in terms of understanding salvation. The Day of Atonement okay, teaches very clearly, they all do, but the Day of Atonement where they took those two goats, sacrificed the one, confessed their sins on the other, and then remove it out to the wilderness is, is a day that, that is so impactful in terms of teaching the coming of Christ and the work of Christ. That took place on the 10th day of the seventh month. Notice now, verse 34, speak to the people of Israel saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month. In other words, the Feast of Booths is going to take place five days after the Day of Atonement. That's not insignificant. It's not insignificant that God places this particular feast in time five days after the Day of Atonement. And we'll come back to that in a, in a few minutes. So, two things. One, it's five days after the Day of Atonement. It's the 15th day of the seventh month. And it lasts, and we could say, either for seven or eight days. Seven days there are to be sacrifices made, offerings made, but it includes an eighth day. Day one and day eight of this feast are to be days of holy assemblies. We see that in verses 35 and 36. And we've talked about that previously, uh, particularly under the Sabbath. That means an assembly. That means they're gathering together. That, that means it's a time of worship. It means it's a time of hearing the Lord speak and of responding as God's people in appropriate ways. So that's days one and eight. Day one and eight were also to be Sabbaths. There is to be no ordinary work done on those days. End of verse 36. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. So the Israelites, understand this, have a Sabbath day, one every week. They have a Sabbath year, one every seven years. And they have a year of Jubilee, one every 50 years after there have been seven times the seven years. But God also is commanding, those are not the only Sabbaths you are to have. There are to be other Sabbaths. This feast has two of them, at the beginning and at the end. And I mention that because there is this passage that keeps coming up, keeps coming up by those who would argue away the weekly Sabbath. It's found in the book of Colossians where Paul says, let no man judge you because of the Sabbaths. A Sabbath. He's not talking about the Sabbath day. Paul's talking about these days. Paul is laying down the foundation of the fact 
that the Jewish people in the synagogues were continually condemning the Christians because the Christians were not keeping these feast Sabbaths. And Paul says, don't let anybody judge you for that. Those things are done. But he's not talking about the Sabbath day. LT would have said, the Sabbath. But the text says, a Sabbath in Colossians. So Paul's argument is, of course we're to keep the Sabbath. That's a creation ordinance. That's a moral law ordinance. But as far as these Sabbaths, don't let anybody judge you about keeping those. Okay? That, that, that doesn't make you okay, uh, a pagan because you're not keeping these Old Testament feast Sabbaths. But it was also a time of offerings. Food offerings were to be given. Notice that. You shall present food offerings to the Lord. He's not talking about animal offerings. He's not talking about bulls and lambs and goats. He's talking about the grain offering and the drink offering that was offered. That comes up again if you go further into the text where you have verse 39 on that 15th day of the seventh month when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. This feast acts as sort of a a thanksgiving celebration for the latter harvest. They they have two harvests, one in the spring, one in the fall. And and this would be more the fall harvest for them. It's a time in which they're, they're looking and seeing that which God has provided. And the offerings then are not blood offerings. The offerings are food offerings. But that brings you back, you see, to the Day of Atonement. That's part of the tie-in. The, the, the thanksgiving they are to bring is about that which the land has produced for them. They've just gotten done with this celebration of this Day of Atonement, this glorious reminder of their redemption, of sin forgiven, of sin cast away. And it's like God saying, okay, you're mine, you're redeemed. Now celebrate. This this is to be a feast of celebration. This is to be a, a feast of rejoicing, which he mentions later on in that passage as well. This this is not a day for for us to reflect back upon sin. That's been taken away, remember? That's been removed as far as east is from the west. Come on the 15th day of that seventh month. Come and celebrate this feast of booths. Come and celebrate. Gather together. Join together. Observe Sabbaths. Bring me food offerings from the produce of the land. And let us rejoice the goodness of the Lord our God. That's what he lays out here. Then, if you follow the passage we read, there is a pause. Verse 37 and 38. 
there is a pause where the Lord speaks to Moses to remind the people of Israel at this particular point, remember that all the feasts, because you'll note this is the last one of the chapter, that all the feasts are my feasts. They're not about you. They're about me. These are the feasts of the Lord. And just as worship is not about us, just as worship is not about how we feel, just as worship is not about do, do, do we find joy in it, we would hope so, we pray for that, but it's not primarily about us. You, you can't say, well, that was lousy worship because I had no joy. The question is, did God receive joy? Is God joyful over our worship? Did God take delight in it? Well, I don't know. I was, I, I was just groveling in my sin. Well, maybe the Lord is going, good, it's about time. It's about time you realize you're a sinner. It's about time you deal with that particular sin in your life. It's good. And the Lord's beaming. He's joyful because it was worship. Because it was to his purpose, to his end. That's why the Lord comes at the end of all of these feasts and says to them, let me remind you that these are the appointed feasts of the Lord. These are my Sabbaths. These are my days. This is not for you. It's for me. Man was made for the Sabbath. So that man might enjoy the Sabbath? No. We were made for the purpose of observing the Lord's Sabbaths. To bring him the worship and the praise that he so richly deserves. So then there comes part two of the feast. That we had part one, the date and, and the various days and what you do on the days. Then the Lord reminds them, hey remember this is about me, not about you. And then when we come to that next section, starting at verse 40, we read that there were an additional practice. In fact, it's where the feast gets its name from. What are they to do? Well, starting at verse 40, they're, start, they're, they're supposed to build booths, tents, temporary structures out of various branches. God lists for them what those branches are to be. You're to cut them. You're to lean them perhaps against a wall. Okay, that sort of thing. You're, you're to build a shelter. Much like you kids might do. Out in the spring or in the summer of the year. You go out into the woods and you find a bunch of dead branches. And you start leaning them up against a, a tree. And you build yourself, you would call it perhaps a little fort. Okay. Uh, a place that you're going to go hide. And maybe you say to mom, hey, could you make us a little lunch? Could we have some juice boxes? We want to have our lunch in our, in our little tent that we've made out of branches. It's what the Israelites are doing. God says, "On this, this is what you're to do. I want you to take branches, and I want you to build booths, and I want you to live in those booths 
for the whole time of the feast. I want you to dwell in them. I want you to physically go and live within that structure for seven days. So you got to sleep in there. You have to eat in there. Your, your life is to be in the booth, in the tent for a period of those seven days. And this is for all Israelites, verse 42. All native Israelites, no exceptions. You don't get to go, hey, nah, I got a nice house. I'm not, I'm not living in no branches, okay? I'm not giving up my luxury. I'm not giving up my running water with my hot bubble bath for living in that for a week. Man, can you imagine how we're all going to smell when we live in that thing together? Nope. No exceptions. Well, you know, I'm kind of old, you know. Old people, we probably shouldn't be out in the cold. No exceptions. Just had a baby. No exceptions. All native Israelites, you go and you dwell in those booths that you have made. Now I want you to pick it up with me at verse 43. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We get to the purpose. Why this feast? Yes, it's a celebration. Yes, it's a thanksgiving. But it's a bigger picture than just that which the produce of the land has just been harvested. It's a bigger picture. The Lord says, throughout your generations, I want you to keep this feast as a reminder of my delivering you. See, that's the tie-in to the Day of Atonement. I delivered you. I pay the price. I am the one who by a mighty hand brought you out of the land of Egypt. I delivered you. So it's not just, well, he just picked the 15th day of the seventh month for no reason. No. It's because he, he wants them to reflect back upon their deliverance. That deliverance that they had from Egypt, yes, through the Passover lamb, but also that deliverance that they have just experienced in that day of atonement. I have delivered you. I have brought you out. There's, they knew that God brought them out of Egypt. The tie-in that God already is making to them, for them, is that was a picture of your deliverance from sin. It's a reminder of your deliverance. And the means by which I brought you to the promised land. How did these people live as they moved from Egypt to the promised land? They dwelt in tents. There was no permanent homes built for that whole 40 years. Even God dwelt in a tent. And he wants them to remember that. Remember you dwelt in a tent. 
Remember, you lived in a tent. And while you lived in the tent, did you have a need? No. While you lived in a tent, were your cares taken care of? Yes. While you lived in a tent, did thunder and lightning and hail and storms disrupt you? No. While you lived in that tent, even though you dealt with all those elements, I provided for you. I provided your food. I provided your shelter. Even while you were in tents and you had raiding armies coming against you, who was that standing in front of you but the angel of the Lord your God? I watched over you. I cared for you. Your entire journey. I want you to dwell in tents. Because I want you to remember. I want you to remember. My deliverance of you. And that I watched over and I cared for you. Every step of that journey. So why do we have Leviticus chapter 23 in our Bibles? Why is it there? If it was for the Israelites and it's ceremonial law and it's now fulfilled, why is it there? Point four, the continued purpose. One reason it's there is because it's a reminder of a past time. God wants us to remember what he did for his people of Israel as well. That's why even though it's been fulfilled, and we'll come to that in a minute, even though it's been fulfilled, even though we don't have to do it, God wants us to read Leviticus chapter 23, 33 through 44, and remember what he did to his people of old. What he did for them. How he did bring them out. This, this is not something for us to forget either. We're not to forget the exodus. We're not to forget the ten plagues. We're not to forget the Passover lamb. We're not to forget God's mighty hand. We are to remember that which God did. And how God provided for them quail and manna. How God protected them with the uplifted arms of Moses when they're fighting the Amalekites. How God drove away Og, the king of Bashan. And all the other nations that came up against them. How for 40 years God provided for them such that the, their shoes didn't even wear out. 40 years of wandering and they're still wearing the same pair of shoes. Because God provided. God wants us to remember what he did for his people. Why is Leviticus 20? Three there, what is the purpose of this? To see its fulfillment. To see its fulfillment. Turn with me. Passage we'll be back with for a bit tonight as well. John chapter one. It's it's a it's a familiar text. John one, verse fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt. He tented. The word became flesh and he tented amongst us. God had pictured that 
for those people of Israel in the Old Testament, in that tabernacle that they built and his glory filled that tabernacle and God dwelt in the midst of his people. But you see, John 1.14 is saying all of that was a picture of God coming in the flesh and dwelling, tenting amongst us. See, why don't we keep it anymore? Because it was kept. It was kept perfectly. It was kept perfectly by Christ himself. His coming into this world in that incarnation. His taking on flesh. And and the purpose, the, the, the specific word that is used here draws our attention back to the tent The people of Israel were simply to to live in these booths constructed of leafy branches. Jesus Christ took upon himself a tent of flesh and dwelt amongst us. And notice how John goes on from there. And we have seen his glory. See, he's hearkening back to the Old Testament. The glory of God filling that tabernacle. And he's saying, yeah, that was quite something back there. But we have seen the glory of God himself as he dwelt amongst us in the flesh. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why on the 15th day of the seventh month, we don't make an official proclamation from the church and say, now you must gather branches and you must put them together against a wall and you must live within them, gather some produce of the land, bring that as a sacrifice. Why? Because it was fulfilled in Christ dwelling in the tent of his flesh. How much greater A fulfillment can there be. But there is another reason. There is another reason to pause. And to remember this. God delivered them. And they dwelt in tents. Until they entered the promised land. Are you already in front of me? Do you already see where this goes? Do you already see the purpose? God, through the gift of his son, has delivered each one of us. Through the work of his spirit in our hearts that causes us to be born again. To look to Christ in faith and to Christ alone. We've been redeemed by God's grace. He's brought us out by a mighty hand. And throughout our entire life's journey, God is watching over us. 
turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've used this passage often at funerals. I'm not sure I've ever really preached on it. But it comes as a good point of application for us today. For we know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed. What's Paul speaking of? He's not speaking about that green canvas thing that you threw away a number of years ago because it's got holes in it. He's talking about your body. He's talking about my body. The tent. See, we too dwell in a tent. That's this body. Just like the Israelites dwelt in tents throughout their life's journey to the promised land. So you and I dwell in a tent as well. A redemption bought, secured by God himself. And now we're on this journey, this pilgrimage, this walk. And in this journey, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament dwelt in tents, so do we. But not tents made of branches or canvas. We dwell in a tent of flesh. We know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we die. We know that when this body of flesh dies, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. I didn't know Mark was going to send me an email late last night about his mother. Hundred years, dwelling in a tent. And now that tent is racked with pain. For in this tent we groan. Think of those that we prayed for today. And those primarily are only the physical issues of life. Think of the emotional burdens and groaning that is present in this room. Think of the spiritual groaning. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. See, what this feast does is it reminds us, yes, we too dwell in a tent, but there's coming a promised land. A promised land, a land of Canaan, a land of glory, a land where God himself is present. A day in which we put off this tent. And we put on a new heavenly dwelling, a building, a building, not a tent. Not something temporary, but something that is meant for all of eternity. Someday, someday, 
See, that's why they kept it, even when they got into the land of Canaan. Because the land of Canaan wasn't their final, final destination. That's glory. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal, that which dies, might be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God. Remember my feast. Remember my Sabbaths. Who did that? Who's declaring all of these things in Leviticus 23? God. God. Who is preparing for you A heavenly dwelling. A heavenly place. Where you shall be forever. He who has prepared this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body. We are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith. Not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. But you see, we've had our day of atonement. The cross has happened. And we know, we know that which awaits us as believers in Jesus Christ. Funerals are hard. Funerals are difficult. Death is tough. But thanks be to God who gives us a new dwelling. For all of eternity. Amen. Amen. Father.